following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. We are going to be looking this morning at uh, Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 through uh, 35. And just a forewarning, it's a very interesting passage. <laughs> um, and this will be a little different sermon um, because we're going to spend a lot of time just talking about really what the passage means and trying to unpack it. But let's read as we begin Matthew 25, uh, verses, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Matthew 24, uh, starting with verse 15 through verse 35. Matthew 24, 15 through 35. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days... Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and will never be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Whenever the corpse, where, I'm sorry, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Uh, Let's just look into Scripture. Let's take a minute and pray and ask for God to lead us as we uh, look at his word. Father, we do thank you so much for your word. We thank you that the words of Jesus are certain and true and that While heaven and earth will pass away, the words of Jesus will endure forever because they are true and unchanging and unshakable. And Lord, we pray that as we look at these words, these teachings of Jesus, that you would guide us by your Spirit to uh, see and understand what these rather confusing verses mean. And Lord, that you would just bring real clarity uh, so that we can understand uh, what you have done and are doing uh, as you prophesied as Jesus prophesied in these verses. So we pray for your spirit, Lord, both on the speaker and on every person who's listening, Lord, that we may hear from you and it would be your word and your message. So we commit this all to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, jumping into this, understanding the end times. Fascinating subject. We all want to know, you know, when's the end coming? What does the Bible have to say about events that are going to be unfolding in the future? Uh, as believers, we uh, look forward to and we anticipate with hope the day when uh, Jesus will return and will 
dissolve the current uh, world with all of its craziness, and he will get rid of COVID forever. Hallelujah. Amen. And he will set up his eternal kingdom without disease and sickness and war. And so we look to passages like this, Matthew 24, as well as Revelation and Thessalonians and Daniel and Ezekiel and some of those books that point to uh, the events of the end and give these prophetic uh, revelations about what happens at the end times. Uh, but this passage in, in Matthew is, is certainly confusing, uh, difficult to understand, and I think oftentimes very misunderstood. Uh, so we want to be careful as we read through these verses to understand what Jesus is really teaching here about the end. And to really understand what, what's going on in these verses, we need to go back a little bit and review the question that the disciples asked that prompted this, right? If you remember, Jesus had said at the beginning of chapter 24, uh, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out the buildings, the beautiful, glorious buildings of the temple. But Jesus said to them, You see all these, do you not? I tell you the truth. There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And so Jesus clearly predicts, prophesies the fall and destruction of this incredible, uh, elaborate temple. Some describe it as the most glorious building in all of the ancient world. Uh, And so as he sat on, verse 3, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? Right? When, was, when is this going to happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? Uh, and for the disciples, it's clear that they, they see these, uh, it's two questions, but they really see it revolving around one big event. The destruction of the temple and Jesus' return and the end of the age is all one event. But as we begin to see last week, as we looked at uh, the first 14 verses, Uh, Jesus indicates that these really are two separate events, the destruction of the temple and the return of Christ. Uh, But but Jesus is still answering that question. So when we get to verse 15, Jesus is still answering the question specifically, when will these things be? In other words, when will be the sign? When will be the end of the temple? And so we need to really understand uh, verse 15 on, at least through part of this passage, uh, looking at the end of the temple. And uh, Jesus' teaching here actually goes all the way through the end of the chapter. And at some point, Jesus finishes answering the first question, when will the temple be destroyed? And then he shifts gears and he talks about uh, the sign or the events uh, leading up to his return and the end of the age. Uh, but Jesus is clear that these are two separate uh, events. Um, and, and we know, uh, looking back with the advantage of looking back through history to what Jesus said, that they are two separate events because uh, we know for a fact that the temple was destroyed by Rome in 70 A.D. And we have actually a lot of details about it because a guy, Jewish historian named Josephus, wrote very detailed accounts of what happened. And we'll talk a little bit more about some of his writings. Uh, But we're still here in 2021, and um, Jesus has not come back. We're here. The sun's still shining. And so clearly these are two separate events. Um, But the challenge with this passage is knowing which parts speak to the first question, the the destruction of the temple, and which parts of this passage speak to the end when Jesus comes again. And when we read this passage, the most natural way to to break that, as we look through it and as we just read, the, the most natural place to put a break is at verse 29. Right? And if uh, you look in verse 29, it says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of hev- the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and all of the, earth, the tribes of the earth will mourn. And on, uh, on that day, he will send out his angels, and, and, and with a trumpet call will gather his elect from the four winds. Right? So normally when we read through this, we, we can see the events leading up to the destruction of the temple. And then in verse 29, it appears that Jesus is saying, then uh, some huge cosmic cataclysmic events are going to happen. Uh, the sun's going to stop shining. The moon's going to stop shining. The stars are going to fall from the sky. The Son of Man's going to come in his glory. And the elect are going to be gathered from the uh, corners of the, of the earth. 
But those problems uh, in what Jesus says here. And here's the problem. In, in, verse, 30, or in verse 29, Jesus says that, that, that this will happen immediately following those days. Speaking of what he just talked about, about the destruction of the temple. In other words, he says, these events will lead up, this great tribulation will lead up to the destruction of the temple. And then immediately following those days, uh, that is, immediately following the, this tribulation uh, and the destruction of the temple, uh, these events will happen with the, the, the sun being darkened and the Son of Man coming and the elect being gathered from the ends of the world. He also says a little bit later that this generation will not pass away until all these things take place, right? Um, uh, that, is, that, is, uh, uh, that is a problem for commentators and for us as we try to understand uh, these words. Because the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., uh, but it's been 2,000 years since then. 2,000 years have gone by since then, and I'm pretty sure that everybody in that generation hearing Jesus' words is dead. Right? I'm pretty sure nobody's survived the last 2,000 years. Uh, they would certainly set a record. Um, uh, so, so there's some problems here. Uh, the temple was destroyed, but the sun and the moon are still shining. The sky has not fallen. The stars have not uh, fallen from heaven. And more importantly, Jesus has not returned. And uh, we don't know when he's coming back, but 2,000 years almost have gone by. So, so the problem is, was Jesus mistaken about the timing of what was happening? Was Jesus wrong when he said that immediately following those days, these next events would occur? And of course, commentators have tried to explain it by saying, well, immediately doesn't really mean immediately. Uh, those days don't really mean those days. This generation doesn't really mean this generation. And so it's very confusing. And even as we read it, and, 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 and I've read this passage many times, and I've, it's left me very confused, and maybe you feel the same way. Um, was Jesus confused? Did he not know what he was talking about? Right? Was Jesus confused about the order of the unfolding of the end of time? Well, he, he said that, uh, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Jesus is confident that his words are reliable, unchangeable, unshaken, that he's not wrong. Right? That's what he means by that. I'm not wrong. You can count on what I am saying here as absolutely true. So how can we solve this riddle? How can we solve the seemingly impossible problem in this chapter? Well, that's what we want to do today is try to untangle what Jesus taught here and uh, hopefully solve this problem that seems so impossible. Uh, now, just a, a disclaimer, this is not my own invention. Like, like I'm not that smart or that bright. I didn't come up with this on my own, but I'm going to share with you, uh, follow really the explanation of a commentator called R.T. France, who I think has come up with the best explanation of how to solve this great dilemma, this great problem. So let's back up a little bit and get a little bit of the background. Um, Starting in verse 15, uh, the sign of the end. And remember, that was the question that the disciples originally asked. What will be the sign that these things will come about? Speaking specifically about the destruction of the temple. What will be the sign uh, that will warn us that the temple is about to be destroyed? And Jesus finally answers that question in verse 15. He says straight out, so when you see, okay, there's a sign, you're going to see this, see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Uh, let the reader understand. Right? Let, understand what this means, right? And Jesus makes it clear, and, and before we looked last week at many supposed signs, uh, earthquakes and famines and wars and rumors of wars, and Jesus said those are not actually the sign of the end. They're only the sign of the beginning of the trouble of the earth. They're not the real signs of the end. But he gives one very clear sign in verse 15. And he says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. That's the sign that will mark the soon coming of the destruction of the temple. Uh, and this is from Daniel, uh, several passages, actually Daniel 9.27, 11.31, and 12.11, I'll talk about this abomination that brings desolation. And it was a picture of something happening in the temple, in the holy place in the temple, so horrible that it would completely pollute in every way 
uh, the temple and the altar. And we know that this, uh, this actual prophecy of Daniel was already fulfilled 200 years before Jesus. Uh, when Antiochus Epiphany uh, set up an altar on top of the altar in the temple and he started offering and sacrificing pigs to uh, pagan gods. And he defiled in every way, polluted in every way the temple. Um, and it wasn't until the Maccabean revolt that they uh, cleansed the temple. They got rid of that false uh, altar and uh, cleansed the temple and reinstituted it for worship of, of Jehovah, the true God. Um, and so Jesus knows, I mean, he knows that this prophecy has already been fulfilled. But he says an event like it, another occurrence, another uh, unfolding of those similar events will happen again. And that's going to be a sign that the end and destruction of the temple is, is very near. Right? Uh, and he says when that happens, he says that then let those, when you see that sign... When you see that event happen, that abomination coming to the temple, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Okay, so Judea is describing the area around Jerusalem, the, the villages and kind of the province around Jerusalem. If you're out in the country and in the villages, get out of those villages and flee to the mountains. Uh, let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And, and let the one who is in the field not return back to take his coat or his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been seen from the beginning of the world till now. Uh, and if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. Now he's not obviously talking about any human being in the world, but in, in Judea, in Jerusalem, in the place where the temple is being destroyed, uh, it would have been complete annihilation had not God cut those days short. But for the sake of the elect, that is for the true followers of Christ, those days will be cut short. Right? Uh, so, so basically, uh, Jesus says here, run. <laughs> when that happens, run. Right? When you see uh, this sign... Don't mess around. Like if you're on the rooftop, don't go down into your house to pack a bag. You jump off the roof and just get out of there. If you're in your field and you hear the news, don't go back home to pack your bags, right? Or to get your animals. You flee to the hills as fast as you can. Get out of there. Why? Because it is a time of unprecedented tribulation that will come upon Judea and on Jerusalem. And we know that that's exactly what happens. Here's a little bit of a history lesson. Uh, in uh, 66 AD, the Jews finally had enough of Rome, and uh, several zealot groups uh, joined forces, and they revolted against Rome in 66 AD. Uh, Rome responded in 67 AD and in 68 uh, by sending uh, Vespasian um, to go in and, and re capture Judea. And they did that, uh, captured most of Palestine, including the region of Judea in 67 and 68 AD. Uh, during the winter of, of 67 and 68, um, the Zealots actually took over the temple area as their headquarters. And they uh, went into Jerusalem. And these were not priests. They, had, they were not Levites. They didn't have a right to be in the temple, but they stormed the temple and they uh, took over the temple as their headquarters. And Josephus, the Jewish historian, speaks with horror of the way they invaded, his words, invaded the sanctuary with polluted feet uh, and mocked the temple ritual. And, and what's worse is uh, they actually had a lot of infighting between these, these zealous groups who were, uh, who were fighting for power and control. And they actually, uh, fighting and, and bloodshed broke out in the temple where they were killing each other, fighting for who was going to be in charge. Uh, so it's very possible that that's, that's the uh, abomination that brings desolation that Jesus is talking about. Around the same time, though, uh, Jerusalem was surrounded by the armies of Rome. And uh, Luke uh, implies that, that that's the abomination, that when the Romans showed up and they surrounded uh, 
Jerusalem, and it wasn't so much the temple, but the holy city, that they were the abomination that brings desolation. Uh, we don't know exactly what the sign was, but for those living during that time, they would have known, right, uh, as they saw these events unfold. Uh, in 68 and 69, Rome had its own civil war, and during that time, they left uh, Jerusalem alone. So they conquered Judea, but then at the end of that, they, they actually returned to Rome, and they withdrew their soldiers to deal with their own civil war. Uh, but during that time, the fighting between the zealots increased. And so uh, the Jews actually in Jerusalem experienced their own civil war going on as these factions were fighting for power, primarily under uh, one zealot group under Eleazar who controlled the inner courts of the temple, and another group controlled by a guy named um, uh, Jonathan, I'm sorry, John of Gischala, <laughs> can't say that word, who controlled the outer part of the court. And this, um, the city itself is being ripped apart by conflict. Well, the uh, Romans returned in 69 A.D., and again, we're marching up to 70 A.D., right, the destruction of the temple. They returned in 69 A.D., and uh, Jerusalem was already a mess. It was already ripped apart by civil war and conflict from within, and uh, the rest of Judea was quickly conquered again, and the people living in the surrounding area of Judea, tens of thousands of them, in fact, Josephus says actually hundreds of thousands, uh, fled to Jerusalem to find refuge in the walled city of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem actually was a very impressive fortress and uh, a very impenetrable city. And so they fled and, and sought refuge in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, and, and then the, the Roman army came and they set siege to Jerusalem. They surrounded it. They cut off all access in and out. They cut off all food. Uh, Vespasian returned to Rome to be named emperor, and he left his son Titus to put Jerusalem under siege, and the city was under siege for five months. Now imagine this. You don't just have the residents of Jerusalem who had always been living there uh, trying to survive a siege, but you have with it the the addition of tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of of people who came from Judea who were in the city uh, seeking refuge, right? And uh, it wasn't long before all the shelves in 7-Eleven were empty, right? Uh, not only the shelves in 7-Eleven, but the shelves at Big C and Macro and, and all of them, right? There, were, there was no food left. And this drug on for five months. And so for five months, the people inside the city slowly starved to death. And if you want some really, if you can't sleep some night and, and want some really uh, interesting reading, uh, read Josephus' account of the siege. And it's, I'll warn you, it's gruesome. I was, tempted to, I was tempted to go into some of the gory details this morning, but since presumably children might be watching, I'll spare you. But it was horrible. So when Jesus said it was a great tribulation such has not been seen from the beginning of the world till now, he wasn't exaggerating. And, and, and uh, Josephus confirms uh, some of the horrible things. Just a little bit, uh, people began to die by the thousands so that the streets of Jerusalem were lined with dead bodies. And there weren't enough people or time to bury them all. So people started uh, just dumping the bodies over the wall. Uh, Josephus says, and again, he, he did tend to exaggerate things, uh, but he says that at one point 600,000 bodies were thrown over the wall. Right? It was horrible. Right? It was horrible. And in fact, it was so bad that the Roman soldiers watching it uh, cringed. They actually felt bad at what was going on. And Rome actually offered food and safe passage to anyone who would leave the city. But the zealots would not allow it. And to make matters worse, not only were they pressured by Rome cutting off all food, but the zealots actually were, were abusing people inside the city. And so if, if you were wealthy... Uh, they would daily drag you in and try to beat out of you every resource you had. And if you were poor, they would, uh, uh, Josephus says, they would rip the bread out of your mouth if you found anything to eat. Right? So people were in uh, terrible shape. Right? And so Jesus says, spare yourself. Get out of there. Run. And we know that actually in 68 AD, uh, many Christians did flee, flee Jerusalem uh, and were spared. Um, so, so this horrible time of tribulation will take place leading up to the destruction of the temple, uh, which uh, history has confirmed. 
And then in verse 23, it says that if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there he is, don't believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray if possible even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. And so Jesus is warning them. Uh, So if they say to you, look, here he is in the wilderness, do not go out. That is the Messiah. The Messiah is in the wilderness, don't go. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, the Messiah, don't go. And Josephus also confirms this, that uh, there were, during this time of of siege and of uh, infighting between the zealots, there were many false prophets who claimed to be the Messiah. And, of course, people were desperate for hope, desperate for an answer, desperate for any word that would get them out of this mess. And so many false prophets arose. And, in fact, many of them actually did miracles. And, again, you can read Josephus. He recounts many of the signs and miracles that were done by these false prophets, and many followed them to their own death and disaster. Because instead of fleeing Jerusalem and finding a safety, uh, they stayed there and died by the thousands. And, and Jesus ends this section by saying this, uh, Don't be deceived, because uh, as the lightning comes from the east to the west, and sh- I'm sorry, as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Right? Uh, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And Jesus says, look, don't, don't be misled or deceived by false prophets claiming to be the Messiah uh, returning, to be Jesus returning. Because Jesus says that when he returns, and, and Jesus affirms here that he is coming back. And so we as the church, as Christians, affirm and uphold the, the visible physical return of Jesus to this earth, the second coming. And Jesus says when that happens, it will be unmistakable. It will be an event like the flash of a lightning. And when the lightning flashes from the east, it's visible to the west, right? It lights up the whole entire sky, and no one can miss it. And that's what Jesus says about his return. When he really returns, when he comes back, it will be unmistakable. No one will miss it. Christians or non-Christians, because it will be so visible and so apparent and so real. And in this uh, example, Jesus also implies a couple other things. He implies that it could be uh, at an instant without notice, right? Um, have you ever tried to take uh, photographs of lightning? Like I always see on, on, you know, people post these amazing pictures of lightning, and I'm like, I want to get one of those, right? So I take my camera out in a thunderstorm, and I'm ready, and like, boom, there was a flashing light. I mean, there's a burst of, of lightning, right? I click. Well, I'm too late, right? I'm not fast enough to catch it. How do you do that? How do you know when lightning is going to strike? Well, we don't know, right? That's the point. And that's how it will be with the return of Christ. It will be unmistakable. It will also be uh, without notice. Uh, so Jesus implies that he doesn't say it specifically, but he implies there will be no sign when I return unlike the sign that's given for the destruction of the temple. Uh, Also, uh, it will be uh, uh, instant, right? It's just going to happen, right? And so uh, it's important for us now because we know Jesus hasn't come yet, and we need to be anticipating that Jesus really could come at any instant. Uh, Like, if Jesus comes tomorrow, are you ready, right? Are you living your life in a way that you are ready for his return. And Jesus will actually uh, uh, elaborate on this more, teach on this more later on in this message. So we're not going to go there yet. But, um, but one thing we need to notice here, in, in, uh, when it says the Son of Man coming, verse 27, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. That word coming in the Greek is a very special Greek word that's used uh, to speak of Jesus' second coming. So there's several words in Greek that can be used for the word to come. And this word is a very special word. It's the word parousia. And it was a word that the church had adopted and used to speak specifically of the end of the age when Jesus would return. And Jesus uses that word here. He says, so will be the parousia of the Son of Man, the second coming, the time when the end comes, which related to the second part of their question, right? When, will, when is your coming and when will be the end of the age? That's, that's the parousia. And so Jesus gives one 
slight answer to that second question here, when he says, don't worry about it, when it happens it will be unmistakable. But it's not going to happen at the same time as the temple destruction. Right? He implies that. He says, uh, these things will lead up to a great tribulation. Many false prophets will claim it's the end. But it's not the end of the, of, of the, of the world. Because uh, my coming is going to be later, a separate event, unmistakable. Right? So Jesus was not confused about his timetable. Uh, but then we come to the real problem passage, right? Verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, right, the sun will be darkened. Okay, so what, what does that mean? Well, it's important to know a couple of things here. First, Jesus still hasn't actually answered the question, when will the temple be destroyed? Right? What he's answered is what the sign will be. He says, here's the sign of the destruction of the temple. The abomination of desolation will be in the holy place. And when that happens, run, right? Uh, but he doesn't actually say yet when the temple will be destroyed. But what he says is this. He says, immediately after the tribulation of, of those days, immediately following all that suffering and all that goes on, three catastrophic events are going to take place. Right? And, and, and the word immediately here, it's hard to make that word mean anything other than just the next thing that happens. Right? Like if I say immediately after this, the worship band's going to come up and sing. I don't mean like next year. I mean it's the next thing, right? And praise God for our worship team. And when I get done finally babbling on, we can all worship, right? That's a good thing. And, and it's immediately following the sermon. It's the next thing. It's hard to make those words here mean anything different. Uh, and it's also hard to make the word, uh, the tribulation of those days, mean something other than the tribulation he just talked about, leading up to the destruction of the temple. Um, and, and you see, the most natural plain reading would indicate that immediately following those tribulation, these events are going to take place. These three things, the cosmic collapse of the heavens, the coming of the Son of Man, and the gathering of the elect. All right? Um, the end of something. Uh, and it would be most logically the temple. Um, but, but here's the problem. We know that the temple was destroyed, but uh, the sun's shining today. It's beautiful. Uh, the moon came out at night. Uh, I didn't check, but I'm pretty sure the stars were all there last night. I didn't personally count them, but I'm pretty sure the, s- the stars are there, right? Um, Jesus has not come back. And we know that because Jesus said it would be unmistakable, right? So it's not like we missed it, because he just said nobody's going to miss it. Right, so, so how do we solve the problem here? Well, uh, a couple of things of note. First of all, it's important to note that the, the coming of the Son of Man in, in, verse 20, in verse 30 is not the word parousia. It's a different word, erkamai. He says the Son of Man will come, uh, not parousia, but erkamai. And, and, uh, and here's really the problem for us, right? Here's really the problem is that we don't understand these words like the disciples would have. And the reason we don't understand these words like the disciples would have is that we have um, been given further revelation, in, in the, in actually by John in the, in the book of Revelation and in Thessalonians, and then throughout church history, the church has developed this doctrine or theology of the end times. And we know that when Jesus comes, he will come in the clouds. He will come with glory. We know that the elect will be gathered from the ends of the earth in the rapture. Uh, we know that um, it will be a shaking of the heavens, right? And so when we read these verses, we automatically jump to our New Testament understanding based on the book of Revelation. But, of course, the book of Revelation hadn't been written yet, right? So when the disciples hear these words, that's not the images that, that would have been triggered in their mind. Instead, they would have understood you know, the Old Testament. They would have looked to Old Testament images using these words. And there are many. In fact, we're going to look at it and see that Jesus actually drew these images all from the Old Testament. And, and the disciples would have seen these phrases in terms of their Old Testament meaning, not the meaning that we see in the book of Revelation. 
So we need to take a minute and go back to the Old Testament origin of these pictures to really understand what Jesus was saying by these images. First, let's look at the picture of cosmic collapse. The sun will be darkened, the moon will be darkened, will not shine, uh, the, um, uh, the, the heavens will not give their light, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not shed its light. Um, that actually comes from Isaiah 13.10. Isaiah 13.10 says this, For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened at its rising, and the moon will not shed its light. Uh, this was a prophecy by Isaiah referring to the fall and destruction of Babylon. Right? So uh, the prophets used a lot of very elaborate poetic language, and it wasn't literal, right? When, when, when Babylon fell, the sky did not, right? The sun's still shining, the moon's still shining. But it's this idea of the shaking of the heavens. Uh, similar uh, words are used in Isaiah 34.4, which speaks of uh, the judgment of the nations, but then it's narrowed down specifically on the destruction of Edom, uh, one of Israel's enemies. And you see similar references in Ezekiel, Amos, and Joel. And in all of these passages, the context is God's judgment or threatened judgment on the cities and nations, both pagan and Israelite, who are going to fall under God's judgment and be destroyed. And in almost every case, it it, it marked the change of political power. Right? So from Babylon, it went to the Persians. From Edom, it went to somebody else. Right? There was a shift of power. So in that sense, these are... in terms of world events, monumental events that shook the heavens, right, that shook the natural order of things, as whole governments were replaced by new governments. Right? So you can imagine the United States, my home country, is a great country, uh, certainly one of the leaders of the world. Imagine it if, uh, if we prophesied the end of America, just tempting, uh, but I won't, the end of America, and it's taken over by... Uh, some other country, the Canadians. You know, the Canadians finally get their wish. Take over America, right? That would be a pretty monumental, earth-shaking event. And that's the kind of things, and that's the image that this, this picture describes. It's an earth-shaking change of power. Right? Well, well, what change of power is Jesus talking about here? As he speaks of these, uh, this Old Testament image. Uh, well, I think it is a prophetic uh, imagery that helps us understand this change of power, that what is to be destroyed is not just the magnificent buildings of the temple, but Jesus is actually talking about a shift of the very center of power of God's rule in the world. Right? God's program up to this point had been focused on the nation of Israel and the people of Jerusalem and the temple. And Jesus says, look, not only is the temple going to be destroyed, but basically Judaism itself is going to come to an end as you know it. And God's rule, God's program of power and of working with mankind is no longer going to be through Judaism, no longer through the temple. He is going to replace the temple with something much greater. And of course, we know that uh, Jesus replaced it with himself and with, um, with the church, right? It is no longer a political kingdom, but it is now a spiritual kingdom that extends to the ends of the world. Okay, second image, the coming of the Son of Man. Again, uh, not Perusia, but his Erkomai, his coming. And if you read these verses closely, notice what it says. Verse 30, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Right, so it doesn't say the sign will be visible on earth. It says the sign will actually be seen in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And uh, that word earth can also be translated land or territory. All the tribes of the land will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming, Erkomai, on the clouds of heaven with power and glory. Um, So the context here is the sign is in heaven. And actually, uh, I believe the whole setting is in heaven. And this imagery also comes from the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And notice what it says in Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Daniel writes, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, 
And he came to earth? No. He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. You get the picture here? So Jesus comes, uh, this, this Son of Man comes in the clouds in heaven and is presented to the Ancient of Days, this great picture of God Almighty. And he was presented before him in heaven. And to him, that is to the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. You see, what, what Jesus is describing here is not his coming to earth, but his coming to receive his throne in heaven, as Daniel described in Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Right? It's the sign is in heaven. The event is actually in heaven. And Jesus is coming uh, in his ascension to receive all authority and all power to rule over the kingdoms of the world and to set up his own spiritual kingdom uh, that will endure for all time. Right? Um, and then it says that the, the tribes of the earth will mourn. And as I said, better translation, the tribes of the land. And this word tribes is a special word in the Bible that's only used of the tribes of Israel. So he's not talking here about all the peoples of the earth. He's talking about the people of Israel mourning when they see Jesus ascending in glory and receiving power in heaven. Uh, This actually comes from Zechariah chapter 12. In Zechariah 12.10 it says this, And I will pour out on the house of David... And the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on whom they have pierced, but it's talking about Jesus, right? On me, on the one they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. So what Jesus is saying here is... is, um, there's going to be the collapse of the temple, right? That's what's pictured in the, the, the collapse of the, of the cosmos, the destruction of the temple. And at that event, uh, the Jews, the, the tribes of Israel, will see the Son of Man in glory. In other words, it, it, will, it will dawn on them then, and they'll remember back to these very days when Jesus was just prophesying the destruction of the temple. And we know that the Jews knew this because they brought it up at his trial. They accused him. You say that you're going to tear down the temple. And and, and so they are going to remember that Jesus prophesied this. And when it happens, it will vindicate Jesus' words as true and accurate. And the Jews, many of them at that time, will realize too late that they crucified the Son of God. And they will then see that Jesus was right. He was true. He was the Messiah. And he will be vindicated, and they will see his glory, right? Not because they see it literally and physically, but they will see that Jesus was the glorified Son of God who died on the cross, who rose, and who ascended on high. Uh, So that's the context here. Not that people all over the world, but that the tribes of Israel will mourn. They will see and understand the coming of the Son of Man, meaning when Jesus came to earth and when he gave his life on the cross as God's uh, working out a new kingdom. Finally, the last thing that will happen, the gathering of the elect. elect. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Again, our New Testament, Revelation, Thessalonians view, we want to make this mean the rapture of the church, right? But that's not actually how they would have understood that, because they had no clue that the church was even going to exist, much less be raptured, right? How would they have understood this? Well, an angel is a messenger. And the loud trumpet call marks a new season or event. Uh, You marked a a battle with a trumpet call. You marked uh, the coming of a king with a trumpet call. It marked a new season or a new era. And, And so these messengers, these angels are sent out, and they will gather his chosen ones, his elect, from the ends of the earth. Uh, so, so Jesus uh, has replaced the temple with his own new kingdom. Uh, Israel will see it as he ascends on high and sits on his throne in heaven. 
And at that time, messengers will go out through all the earth and they will call to, into this kingdom people from every tribe and tongue and language. Right? It's the work of making disciples and of evangelizing the world. Uh, and the kingdom will no longer be made up of a political uh, place in Jerusalem and in Judea, but of God's people all over the world who enter into his kingdom which is now newly established as Jesus is ruling uh, from the throne at the right hand of God in heaven. So what Jesus is describing here is the destruction of the temple, the doing away with the old way of God governing under the old covenant, and the coming of his new kingdom, uh, with Jesus as its king ruling on its throne, and the people of God being invited from every tribe and tongue and nation to join in and participate in this new kingdom. And Israel, the Jews themselves, will see this uh, and, and as the glory of Christ come and a new era of kingdom work being established on the earth. Uh, that makes sense of this passage, right? Because those things did happen immediately after the tribulation. The temple was destroyed, and uh, the Jews did understand, at least some of them did understand, that they were wrong about Jesus, that they put to death the very Son of Man that God sent to save them, and that uh, no longer would God be uh, working in the world through Jerusalem, but now the, the focus would be uh, God's program in the, in the church. Right? We are now the place of God's power and authority. And what this means for us practically is that um, we are now the visible, evident glory of Christ on the earth, right? We are the ones who are showing by our life and by our participation in the kingdom, by surrendering to its principles and living by Christ's authority, uh, that, uh, that this is God's program, that this is how God is going to rule, and those who want to join in can do so by putting their faith in Christ. And Jesus is, is the true and living promised one, um, and he will come again, right? But in this intermediate season, uh, his kingdom is here. Right? We don't have to wait for Jesus' kingdom to come. It is here now, resident in his church, as Jesus governs and rules over us. And of course, we look forward to the day when it comes in a grander way, when God overthrows every enemy and puts every enemy under his feet, and he uh, restores the world uh, to perfect order. Uh, and Jesus uh, concludes the section uh, with these last few instructions. First, uh, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as a branch becomes tender and puts on its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that, that he is near. Actually, uh, he is not in the Greek. Uh, better if you translate it, know that it is near at the very gates. In other words, the end of the temple is near. And Jesus is re-emphasizing, look, uh, just as uh, the seasons change quickly, so when you see this sign, the end of the temple is, is, is right at the door, right? Be ready. Um, secondly, he says, so um, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Again, huge problem if we make these verses talk about Jesus' second coming. Because what is this generation? Uh, the easiest way to understand this is that Jesus is talking about this generation who are hearing his words, the generation of the disciples, that within their lifetime, they would see the sign and the temple would be destroyed, which is exactly what happened. Uh, and finally, heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not pass away. Uh, Jesus' words are absolutely reliable. Right? Uh, if there's a problem uh, where it seems like Jesus made a mistake, the problem is not in Jesus' words. It's in our misunderstanding. Right? Jesus' words are absolutely reliable. We're the ones who get confused when we try to understand them. And admittedly, a lot of what Jesus says can be very confusing. Uh, but by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and as we prayerfully seek and study his word, uh, he will lead us to the truth of what he said.
so uh, how do we apply this to our everyday life? Um, well, the temple's come and gone, and we are in that intermediary period where we wait for the, the second coming of Christ, right? And uh, these verses remind us that it can be at any time. Uh, are you ready today? Uh, if Jesus comes this afternoon, are you ready to meet him? Or are, things in, in, are there things in your life that, that are not honoring to him? Are there priorities in your life that are not really following what he uh, has directed us to do? Right? When he comes, we will stand before him and we will give an answer for our life. And just as Jesus' warning to the disciples, he said, this is a sign, be ready. Like when it happens, be ready so that you're prepared for what is to come. Likewise, we need to be ready for Jesus' second coming. Like we need to be living our life, making every day count for him and for his glory in submission to his word. Uh, Because he will come and he will ask us, uh, what have you done with your life to serve and follow me? Right? We need to be ready to give an answer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you so much for uh, your word, for the absolute assurance that your word is uh, without error, without mistake. You are never confused. It is absolutely reliable. And just as we saw your prophecies about the temple unfold exactly as you predicted, in, in detail, Lord, it, it happened exactly as you said. And in the same way, Lord, we can have confidence that, uh, that the rest of the prophecy, the rest of the things you will talk about in, in the remainder of the chapter will happen, and we can count on it. Heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will not change, will not prove false, will not prove in error. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us to have faith, to live uh, by your word, day by day, faithfully following you. And, Lord, help us to be prepared for your return, uh, to be mindful of it daily, uh, uh, and asking ourselves the question, am I ready to meet Jesus if he comes back today? And, Lord, may our answer be an enthusiastic yes. We are ready because we are following you and our eyes are fixed on you. So we thank you and praise you. And Lord, we just want to worship you as our king, even now. pray in Jesus' name. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.